Welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis with Kenny and Heather. We discuss horror movies on this podcast, and today we're talking about Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954. Uh, some basic facts about the movie. It uh, was released in 1954 in black and white 3D, which is kind of interesting. I think we usually think about the history of movies as like this linear progression from silent to sound black and white to color and then you know 3d is like the last stage of that process but there actually were color silent films and there were 3d black and white films so uh it's kind of interesting uh the film was directed by jack arnold and written by harry essex and arthur a ross based on a story by maurice zim it stars richard carlson and julie adams and features a score by Henry Mancini, Hans J. Salter, and Herman Stein. It has a debatable status in the pantheon of universal monster movies as the only monster in the bunch not featured in films from the 1930s and 40s. It was added into this group as a marketing tactic by Universal after the fact. The creature debuted 13 years after The Wolfman, the last of the traditional universal monsters to appear on film. In fact, a lot had changed since those earlier films. The horror genre had gone into sharp decline after World War II, and by the end of the 40s had essentially disappeared, displaced by newer genres such as film noir. The horror pictures that began to appear in the 50s were quite different, no longer gothic tales of supernatural terror, but sci-fi parables playing on fears of science run amok, well suited to a time when many feared an imminent nuclear war between the United States and Soviet Union. Many horror flicks from this time also relied on gimmicks like 3D to bring in audiences. 1953's House of Wax had begun a short-lived fad for the format. A box office hit, Creature spawns two sequels, and a remake or reboot has been in development hell since the 1980s. At one point, Guillermo del Toro was attached to direct, but executives at Universal found his idea of treating the Gill Man more sympathetically and focusing on the romance between him and a woman to be silly and certainly not something that would win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm. Um, so do you want to read off your plot summary, Heather? Sure. Okay. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Scientists discover the unique fossil of an unknown species, and an expedition to locate the rest of the remains is launched in the Amazon. The endeavor seems futile at first, but a spark of hope is ignited at the discovery of the mysterious Black Lagoon, which may be exactly the place to unearth their elusive fossils. The team discovers far more than they bargained for when they come across not the fossilized remains, but a living, breathing, amphibious humanoid hybrid who isn't exactly thrilled to see them. The creature has one exception, however, and that is for the lovely Kay Lawrence, who he has taken a seemingly fond interest in. Great. Um, and we should say we'll be spoiling the conclusion of the film. So if you guys want to run off and watch it, you can do that. Maybe we should also plug our social media and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Um, if you're on Twitter, you can find us at Cinematicon Pod. Um, also, we have an email address, which I forgot. What is it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You don't no know? One check, no, one, no one checks it, so <laughs> don't email uh, us. Just tweet okay, at us just, or... Yeah, just you, stick You know what you can do then. is also like leave a review on whatever podcasting mm-hmm. service and you're using. And subscribe. Great. 
subscribe to it. Subscribe to the podcast, yeah. Yeah, this is a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so getting into Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, what were your favorite and least favorite elements of the film? Um, well, I thought the music was great. I know you probably have like a million things to say about the score. Um, I really liked it. It's really intense. I think they did a really good job with that. Like every time the creature shows up, he's got this theme music that's just so in your face and terrifying. Mm. Um, I love the way the creature looks. He looks awesome. He's scary and like so human-like. I'm obsessed with the creature. The creature is my favorite out of any monster movie. He's got the most badass look. Um, I liked a lot about this movie. I think the imagery is beautiful. I love all those shots in the water. It looks so clear and good, and it's got that whole Jaws-esque, you know, thing Mm. coming for you in the water type thing going on, which is scary, but it's also really pretty at the same time. I love those shots of her swimming, like like from below, like you, you're okay. looking up at her. Yeah. I think that looks so good. Um, I just, I love the, they did a really good job with all the imagery and, you know, the, the monster like reaching his arm up from the water. They did a really good job of, of not revealing him too soon. Mm, yeah. You know, I really like, they built the Suspense. Um, I still have trouble with that word. Um, Better this time, though. It's it still sounds so stupid to me. It <laughs> sounds like I'm like pronouncing it the way British people pronounce things when they're not British. You know, mm. like there's a <laughs> there's the a way, part of, the way this... British people pronounce things when they're not British. When well, is a British person not a British person? Okay, I worded that wrong. I'm. Like, when people are imitating a British verbiage when oh. they're not British. So, like, there's a there's a part even yeah. in the movie where, where Kay says, she's like, all the research! And it's like, uh, mm. okay, you're not British, so it sounds really weird when you do it. It's like, that's how I feel when I say suspense. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're wrong about suspense. I think it's just everyone in the world says it, suspense, but... Well, it just um, feels with, weird to me. With other words, like research versus research i think you're definitely right like hollywood actors used to have this like yes transatlantic mm-hmm. dialect that didn't really necessarily exist in the real world but it was this kind of like merging of different accents so it would be intelligible to everyone except that it just sounds so wonky especially now yeah does not age well anyway it's part of that what gives it that old hollywood charm though true yeah, nostalgia. Um, other things that I like about the movie. Um, all of Kay's outfits. <laughs> mm. uh, I spent hours trying to find that white bathing suit. Someone who makes a white bathing suit like that. I really need it. I could go yeah, on and good on. Luck. It, yeah. I was uh, watching the, one of the bonus features where they talked about how um, that, that bathing suit was specifically made for the film that wasn't something that you could buy in a store or anything oh yeah tell me everything right now 
that's, that's all you know? That's it? That's what I know, yeah. Okay, they, they had great. a costume designer specifically make that bathing suit. And uh, the actress, uh, Julie Adams, said that um, it was quite risque for the time because of the way that it's sort of... It's weird. You know how... See, I don't know, like, clothing terminology, mm. but, yeah, like... Yeah, you definitely you don't. Know, you know how there's, like, such thing as, like, a neckline? Uh-huh. And you can have, like, a V-neck or, like, a, ne- a neck that kind of, like, dips down uh-huh. to show more cleavage? Uh-huh. It has that with, like, the legs. Like, the... Yeah. Um, they kind of have this, like, V-shape it's, where they kind of come up to expose more of her thigh. It's, yeah. It's, like, a high-cut bikini line. Yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting design. It's got a scalloped edge, and it's amazing. And I didn't find one, so I'm upset. But, yeah, um, pretty much everything she wears is amazing in this movie. The costumes are wonderful. Um, there's also lots of men in little tiny bathing suits, so there's something yes. for everyone, if that's what you're into. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy is pretty hunky. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Richard Carlson. Yeah, they. I feel like multiple people in the movie made a made a comment about what a beefcake he is, <laughs> including men. Yeah. Mark's not bad looking, I guess, but he's such a jerk that. Yeah, he's yeah. It ruins it. Mm-hmm. Not not into it. So yeah, you you picked this one, Heather, and I, yes. as I can see why, you, you really like a lot of stuff about the movie. Oh yeah, I could go on and on about all the stuff I really like about it, so, but I know we're going to cover more of that stuff later on, so I'm, I'm done with what I like about it for now. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I agree with most of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about, do you have any least favorite thing about the film? Well... I don't know if you noticed, but I, I gave this movie an unofficial title. Uh, white people, white peopling. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie didn't need to happen. <laughs> I feel like they should have fucked off pretty early on. Um, it's kind of like that thing where in found footage zombie movies, there's that person who's still filming. Like, these guys should have, like, the first sign of trouble, they should have been like, you know, I don't think this is such a good idea. You know? Like, We're gonna maybe need a this... bigger boat. Right. Like, so much unnecessary just um, carnage occurred, and it just, they could have just packed up and left, and it took them way too long to figure it out. Like, there had been like multiple attacks and people are just on the boat like smoking a pipe and shit and i'm like uh (laughs) hello you know so i see so yeah they're not really like going into survival mode Mm -mm. for a long time and they really should like like even when they show up at the campsite like everyone's been murdered yeah and they just start talking about fossils they're like (laughs) yeah like where's where's the rest of this fossil it's like what about where's the rest of these bodies (laughs) multiple murders occur and like no one's talking about it they just like go on with their day like no big deal and i'm like oh no oh boy i see where this is going this is every horror movie ever or white people are white people forget about it jake it's the amazon there's yeah um and then the one guy really wants to kill the thing and the one guy wants to keep it alive and how about we do none of those things? 
Um, you know? Well, I, I, once they go into the Black Lagoon, then they do try to get back out, but the monster has created, like, a dam that stops the ship, so... Yeah, Kay's out there swimming. Yeah, she's having a grand old time. Oh, boy. So there's that, but also like that's just kind of how horror movies go. So I, I there's not much I can say about it. You know, I, d I don't love the whole invading this creature's territory and like basically harassing it and then getting you know it's it's they're mad that the creature's killing everybody, but like how about fuck off, you know? Like leave him alone. This is his home and you invaded it. So. Yeah, so that's kind of a problem in that it makes you not really sympathetic to the characters, which right. then makes you not care as much when they get killed. Right. I'm like, well, what did you expect? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel more sympathetic to the characters. The only one I you know, think is an idiot is Mark. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't really dispute he that. He certainly is a jerk. Mm -hmm. um, but my my favorite element of the film has got to be the underwater photography. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, we should say I watched the film in 2D. Did you watch it in 2D as well? Yes. Um, so I don't think either of us has seen it in 3D. Uh, so in a way, we're not totally being fair. Like, to be fair to, and appreciate a 3D, 3D movie, I guess you should watch in 3D. But I can't watch 3D movies at all. Yeah, um, they, they give me headaches. I get a headache. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so that, is a tr that is a fad that I'm glad is gone and seems not to be coming back. Yeah, I feel like if I could watch a 3D movie, I'd like to see this in 3D. Mm -hmm. Because it's just so beautiful. But... You know, not worth it. Yeah, from what I've heard, it was really extraordinary at the time to see the creature reaching out. And there, there are a lot of like great shots in this where I can imagine what it would look like in 3D. Like there's shots underwater where um, Mark is like swimming towards the camera with this harpoon pointed at the camera, and there's like bubbles flying towards the camera and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of stuff that would pop out in 3D. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel like it, it's one of those 3d movies where they go so hard on the gimmicks that it just is ridiculous if you're not watching it in 3d or maybe even if you are like, uh, uh, Friday the 13th three has like these silly things where like people's eyeballs pop out and fly at the camera and stuff. Yeah. And there's like random shots where a character has a yo-yo and he's just like yo-yoing his yo-yo right into the camera for no reason. Okay. Uh, it's not like that. It's not super gimmicky at all. Mm. But uh, I just, I, I really love the underwater photography here. Um, this film, I think, was the first ever to do 3D underwater shots. So they had to specially build the camera that could do that. And um, the underwater stuff, it just, it looks really good. Like, I'm sure it's not realistic, like in an actual lagoon in the amazon you probably couldn't see six inches in front of your face no, um, no. whereas here like there's a lot of visibility but it still doesn't look like 
what it probably is, which is like a swimming pool. You know, it looks, it's still, they've got like the seaweed and they've got, you know, enough like uh, occlusion of light that you can believe that you're really where the film tells you that you are. Um, and I just, I don't know. I love underwater stuff like uh, documentaries about the deep sea and stuff, planet earth, stuff like that. My favorites are always in the ocean. Well, that shit terrifies me. Just yeah, it is really scary. Absolutely terrifying. Like the fact that you can't see things past a certain distance, so something Ugh. could be out there at any time. Ugh. Hate it. Hate it. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you there. The underwater stuff is really, really good. Yeah. Um, my least favorite thing is actually one of your favorite things, though. Uh, the the score i think it's too much for you i figure you didn't like it it, it ha there are some parts that i do really like like i think the first big underwater sequence where they go um where i think mark and david both swim under water and they're like i don't know what the excuse is for them to be looking around. they're looking for a fossil or something and then the creature like first encounters them down there mm -hmm. um and they're swimming around so that whole sequence because they're underwater there's no dialogue so there's this long sequence where there's just music and i think that musical suite that plays there i really enjoyed um it does a great job of creating suspense without being overbearing but that the mo the motif that plays every single time we see the creature it's like this three note thing and it's so simple and it just repeats over and over and it it, it, it gets on my nerves. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways you could compare this to Jaws, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you, you've already made that comparison. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Jaws shows how you can do something very similar with the, just the two note motif, da 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 da, and it's so much better. Yeah, well, that's a pretty epic score. It's really hard to compete with the Jaws score. Sure, of course, of course, yeah. I mean, just because it's not as good as Jaws doesn't mean it sucks. Right. But, um, I, there's just something about it that when I heard it, I'm like, mm, I bet Kenny hates this. Like, the really loud trumpets, I think, yeah, is it's, what it it's is. Yeah, it's played by, it's, it's a brass mm -hmm. thing. Um, it's very... Maybe I'll, like, I'll, I'll look it up on... I'll somehow download the sound and put it into the recording here okay. so the listeners can hear. Just how annoying well, it is. Just of, imagine hearing that like 180 times. It's going to be pretty bad. Yeah. I don't know. I just really liked it when he's coming out of the water and it's just like so loud and I liked it. I don't really care what you think. So. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if there were more motifs than just if they if they didn't rely so heavily on that one mm -hmm. like i'm thinking about the um uh, bride of frankenstein score it has a similarly like very strident theme for the creature mm -hmm. it's like bum, 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 bum. it does that a lot but there are themes for other characters too there's like the bride's theme and there's like there's other motifs and they're i think they're they're weaved together weaved they're woven together more subtly in the score and part of that might be that this was um scored by three different people they kind of like cut the film up into different scenes and assigned them to different 
uh, composers, and mm. then there are even other scenes where they just use stock music and stuff. Um, that would so be tricky. it's kind of a patchwork score. Yeah. But they insisted to the composers, like, you have to use this theme every time the monster appears, so they had to find a way to use it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anyway, so I guess that's my pet peeve, but, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a great film overall, yes. I think. Yes. Um, so, to go back to the beginning of the film, it opens in an interesting way with an authoritative-sounding narrator guy describing the evolution of life on Earth from sea to land-dwelling creatures. Um, This device strikes me as a sort of quintessentially 1950s way of opening a science fiction film. You could see it in so many films. Like, if if you watch uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, they -hmm. watch a lot of B science fiction movies from the 1950s, and sometimes the narrator just won't go away. Um, Like... (laughs) Uh, have you seen the episode where they do the creeping terror? Yes, Kenny, we watched it together. Okay, yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Like, the the entire film has the narrator. Like, then Billy said to Jack, and then we get the next line of dialogue, then Jack went away. It's like, can you go away, narrator? Like, what? <laughs> like, we can do it. We don't it's need fine. you to tell us. Yeah, like, we can see what's happening. You don't need to narrate every single thing. Mm-hmm. But the 1950s, for some reason, they just loved having these, like, stodgy sounding narrator voices um and here we get it at the beginning but then he 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 never comes back so what what did you think about that mm, i mean i don't really care either way it's fine i, I don't think it's necessary but it was a popular thing to do okay yeah i definitely think you could cut it it's not mm-hmm. necessary for establishing anything really yeah it does nothing for the film at all yeah because he's telling us how life came from sea to land and how in certain places of the world there might still be remnants of that earlier stage of life but then one of the early scenes in the film has uh david showing us a lungfish and explaining to the other characters pretty much the exact same thing so they already had that concept in the script Mm-hmm. It's it's like doubling up on that exposition. Yeah. Well, they thought it was super cool or added some level of something. I don't know. I, I guess what it's trying to add is more like believability. Like, this is a very strange concept. And I feel like one of the things maybe that this film's trying to deal with is the change in public expectations for movies or the public taste in horror movies since the older universal films because basically what happened was 1941 you have the wolfman and that was the last of like the original monster movies like that introduced a new monster and then throughout the rest of the 40s you had a series of like team up type movies you had sequels to the various monster franchises and you had these like combination films like frankenstein meets the wolfman and the house of dracula where you know the poster says dracula frankenstein uh a hunchback all in one movie and um (laughs) those just got sillier and like campier Mm -hmm. and then 
it, they just became complete comedies with the um, Abbott and Costello. The Abbott and Costello <laughs> meet Frankenstein. Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. There was a whole but a whole series of those where they were just comedies. And so it seems like the monsters that had been frightening to people in the 1930s and early 40s, they increasingly turned into objects of ridicule and they just became sort of silly, you know, kind of like they are to us now, you know, with like Count Chocula and the Count on Sesame Street and stuff like that. Um, the Munsters, the Adams Family. Mm-hmm. And so by the 50s, it was like maybe Universal, the executives or, you know, the screenwriter felt like we need some way to make this not silly to make it more believable and seem more like scientific Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know the magical stuff like the wolfman so maybe the earth the beginning sequence is like you know it's it the format of like showing us this footage that's supposed to represent the early stage of the earth with the narrator guy talking over it. It's like a documentary. Um, and the fifties was like the time for like didactic filmmaking that tries to teach you things with like this narrator guy talking at you. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I think of like mystery science theater, like all the different shorts that they have where it's like, uh, yes, how to have hygiene or, dating 101 you know it's like this weird like they would show these i guess before movies yeah as these like psas maybe you know in in that cultural context it makes more sense yes totally that's why i was saying like it was a popular thing to do at the time i think it's something that we just aren't capable of really understanding because we weren't around back then yeah to us i think I think the fact that it's it lasts 30 seconds is like the best thing. Oh yes, um, I was like, whereas, oh, mm, like it started happening. I'm like, oh, it's it's one of these. Okay. Yeah. So another common sci-fi trope that we see here is the idea of a remote part of the world being frozen in time, so that prehistoric monsters can still exist there. We get a lot of that here, um, both in the opening sequence and then later, like I said, with David displaying a lungfish and saying that it was a dead end in nature's attempt to get life out of the ocean and that it hasn't evolved in millions of years. Um, he says that by way of explaining how it's plausible that something like the creature from the Black Lagoon might exist. Um, so some other examples of this would be the Lost World and King Kong. Those both have islands where dinosaurs still exist. Um, do you have any opinion about this uh, sci-fi trope and the way that it's used in Creature from the Black Lagoon? Well, I love that trope in general. Um, I Mm. love imagining that there's places in the world that have, like, prehistoric creatures that just have been untouched. You know, sort of like in the deep ocean, maybe. Um, Mm. Even though I'm terrified of the deep ocean, I, I kind of like to believe that... Well, you know, I believe in the Loch Ness Monster, so... Mm. um this would support that theory. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan. Um, I, I like it here, especially. Yeah, I, I love the, the, the creature. I love the creature. This is my favorite universal monster. So yes, I'm, I'm in. 
I think I'm going to go with the con position on this. No! Um, Boo! I, I'm, I'm not a fan of this trope. I like dinosaurs as much as the next person and giant mm-hmm. apes mm-hmm. and other things like that. But I just think it's nonsense. Like this idea that certain places are trapped in the past and they they haven't evolved I think is it's really kind of a troubling trope because what are these places they're you know the the jungles of Africa or South America or Papua New Guinea and they're I think it really comes along with colonialist ideas about how certain people are primitive and backward and you know they haven't changed for millions of years either it's just nonsense to say that those cultures are like locked you know they're they're trapped in amber and the they haven't evolved like of course they've been evolving but they just haven't figured out the same technologies that other cultures have and i think the same thing about biology like the lungfish hasn't evolved in millions of years like no of course it has um it's just certain body structures are really well suited to its environment so those haven't changed but i'm sure that the species itself has changed i mean i wasn't really listening because you're so boring so (laughs) um Um, i don't think it's too much of a stretch to to say that this is like a colonialist film and you could read the the creature as standing in for uh, not just the. Oh, it's the palm. What? Why did you do that? <laughs> Bad girl. Let's see. What are we talking about? Um, We're talking about how you have no color or joy in your life. Hmm. Well, that's very. It's very true. This <laughs> film also doesn't have any color. It does not. Um. Uh, literally or figuratively, right? Like we're here in the Amazon. We don't see a single native person no not so much so that's part of why i think the the monster might be standing in for that uh totally i get it i get the metaphor i see what's going on here i'm with it yeah which you kind of already expressed how you felt sort of troubled by that yeah white people white peopling yeah like the characters are going into his world um I guess my point is just part of part of that is their judgment that he is backward and he is a relic of a former time mm-hmm. um, and hasn't evolved the way that he should have. Whereas really the creature has evolved just like we've evolved. It's just he's evolved to suit his environment, mm-hmm. which is in the Black Lagoon, right. and we've evolved to suit ours. You know, it's like neither of us is is in the past. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Which maybe connects to another question that I had. And this is this is like not a question I have an answer to exactly. Although, I don't know, maybe this is the answer is that why is it that they always assume that there's just one creature? I always found that bizarre. Like they start, you know, having people picked off by the monster and they they always assume it's a creature. It's like yeah. Why would there just be one of him? Well, that sort of relates to, an, to something that upset me when I was watching it. Like, in the beginning, the scientist guy, he's, like, trying to remove that hand out of the rock. 
And he mm-hmm. kind of starts chipping away at it a little bit nicely. And I'm like, okay, good. And then he kind of just rips it out of there. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, you, how do you know there's not more in there, you know? Like, he just, like, gr- re- grabs it by the wrist and yanks it out. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, that. I feel like that was not protocol at all. And, like, how do you know there's not more body parts in that rock? Like, that was another assumption that someone made that I, I don't feel was very good yeah well and then yeah and then he leaves and then he comes back with more people to try to find the rest of it mm-hmm. um you'd think he would just stay there and keep looking for the rest of it yeah, i don't know I, why he I, had to go that was a question that i had and i'm like did i miss something they're like oh well time to go over there and look over there and i'm like but what um oh okay I mean, the people he gets aren't archaeologists, right? They're they're ichthyologists. Yeah. They're specialists in marine biology, so it's more like he he needs someone to help him make sense of what he's finding. That, like that makes sense. But yeah, he... you'd think he would then then like get archaeologists to dig it up and then take it to the marine biologists in the institute, as opposed to making them come out to the middle of nowhere where the thing was found. Yeah. Well. I think we could probably pick things apart like that all day, and there's not any point. Sure, sure. But anyway, I just think it's kind of funny how they yeah. assume that there's just one creature. Like, maybe they've seen the title of the film. Yeah, they clearly, and... they're like, oh, creature. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that or, doesn't or, make sense. Or maybe, sense. like we were talking about, like, they they already have this mindset that, you know this is something this is a being that should have gone extinct millions of years ago so mm-hmm. if there is one it's it's like the loch ness monster it's like the last of a, a of a dying breed yeah i mean i i guess i mean they <laughs> that would be pretty damn lucky that they happen to go to the black lagoon during the lifespan of the single last surviving mm-hmm. you know right. member of a species yeah so Okay, it is what it is. It'd be like that. Yeah. So, this, you just said it's your favorite universal monster. Yeah. Um, do you think that it makes sense to group this film with the other universal monster movies? I mean, it is a universal monster movie, is it not? I mean, it is a universal movie that has a monster. Yes. But, I mean, there universal movies that have monsters in them from every decade right yeah uh, there's like you could say jaws is jaws a universal monster movie i mean no it is but it is a movie by that was distributed by universal that has a monster but it's um you know stylistically and in terms of the broader themes it's not really in the same category mm-hmm um, well, I, and I think, I think I don't know. I think this movie belongs in that category. So, okay. So, what are some things that it has in common with the other ones? I kind of feel like it follows the formula. You know. Which is. Well, I mean, they're not all exactly alike, but it's like this misunderstood monster. Hmm, yeah. And it's the sympathetic. Monster. Yeah. So I feel like. In, a, in broad strokes terms, it's on par with the rest of them. 
Yeah, so you got the sympathetic monster. What else do we have? We have the pretty lady that it wants to... I don't know. <laughs> keep? Yeah. Yeah, the monster sort of develops feelings for Kay. Uh-huh. That's something that would often happen in those yeah. older films. Yeah. And, uh... It's afraid of light and fire. Like That's true. It doesn't like fire. So, it that's similar to Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. He also, like, holds his arms out, like, that. Like, yeah, uh, he's like kind of he a comes, slow, like, lumbering creature over. when he's on land. There's a lot of similarities between this creature and Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got the scene where they, like, put him in a cage, but then the cage cage can't hold him. Which is similar to like in Bride of Frankenstein when he's in the jail cell. Right. And then he just rips out of his chains. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like his... I agree with all that. Um, some stuff that's different though. I mean, just the, the cast and crew is totally different. So that's one thing is like those older films we were talking about how they often share the cast and crew. Mm -hmm. So you'll see the same actors popping up over and over, the same directors. Well, I guess they offered the role of the creature to um, the second guy who played Frankenstein. What's his name? Glenn Strange. Yes. And he, I don't think he, he was this. Well, he could have been the second. I'm not sure. Oh well, I know he Bela was. Lugosi played him in at least one film. Maybe he wasn't the second. He was. He was after Boris Karloff. So I just, you know. Yeah. Um, but he, he said he, like, couldn't swim that well. <laughs> so he yeah. was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and I think there are two different people who play yes. the creature in the movie. One when he's on land and one in the water. Yes. And uh, it really is an impressive performance when he's underwater because the guy didn't have, like, an oxygen tank in there. Mm-hmm. There's no place for it to be in the suit. I can't. So he's just got to be holding his breath. I can't even imagine swimming with with that giant suit on. That would be so heavy and so hard. Yeah, and scary. Like, what happens yeah. if you run out of breath? Like, you have to not only make it to the surface, you probably have to get that helmet off your head. Oh my god. Yeah, no, that's that's a horror movie in itself. Ugh. But. Uh, you know, even with all that, he swims very gracefully. Yeah. Like the suit, um, it's on land. It looks pretty, pretty bulky, but that's that's fitting for the because this mm-hmm. creature is at home in the in the water. And when he's in the water, he's quite quite graceful. So the suit allows for a lot of articulation, a lot of movement. Yeah, he makes it look easy, and I can't imagine it is. So he did a really good job. Um. Yeah, and some other things, I mean, I talked about already how it's more of like a science fiction. I mean, the Frankenstein films are sci-fi too, I guess. But this whole idea of like going out into the wilderness and finding some creature and having all the main characters be scientists, that seems like more of a quintessentially 1950s thing to me than those older films. Do you know what this movie reminds me of? Yes. You do? No, I don't know. What, what is it? Oh, I figured you probably could guess, honestly. Well, we said Jaws. Oh. I was going to say The X-Files. Mm. Specifically the episode The Host, 
the fluke man. So what do you think of the gender politics of this film? <sighs> well, early on in the film, I'm like, oh, God. But that's another one of those things that's just in old movies, like pretty much any old movie is going to have that. And it's just another one of those things that I kind of just sweep under the rug and I'm like, well, if if I hold it against all these old movies, I'm not going to have anything to watch. So I kind of just... So you feel like it's pretty regressive. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So. So how so? Well, like you wrote in the notes, they were like, like, should she come? Like... That's stupid. Um, the whole like romantic subplot is stupid. Well, so yeah, so Kay is she's also a scientist, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. But she seems to spend most of her time doing less sciencey things than the other characters. Like she's kind of. Uh, they make her seem like going she's swimming. She's like a a research assistant but her main goal is to like get married right yeah they have that conversation where she's really trying to get yeah and it's that same old trope where she, it's a woman who's like trying to talk a man into getting married and I just like Ugh, like I like gritted my teeth together really hard and I'm just like oh god you know so it's yeah. it's ugly yeah and then the other thing is um, when they decide to go to the Black Lagoon, um, it's it's Richard, the hero, who says, well, but hold on, would it be okay to take a woman into a dangerous place? And it's Mark, who is the bastard, who says, oh, she can handle herself. So I think in a modern movie, those roles would probably be reversed. You know, it would be the bad guy who has the more paternalistic sort of condescending attitude towards Kay. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that. On the other hand, Kay really can kind of handle herself. Like, she's not... I don't know. There's a certain stereotype of, of women as being, like, feeble and uh, uh, cowardly that doesn't fit Kay. Right. She's totally, like, gung-ho and adventurous and everything. Yeah, she's, she's doing then, better than than most female characters of her era yeah and if you look back at the the other universal monster movies the female characters i think are less active yeah. in the story they're basically um, just used as props almost right and that really ha only happens to Kay at the end of the film mm -hmm. when she really gets damseled. She's yeah, being she, around. Yeah, she damsels real hard at, at the end there because there's that scene where she's like sitting in the... She's sitting by the water and she's like facing the water and the creature is clearly coming up behind her and it's like shuffling all slow and she doesn't even notice that he's there until she turns around and screams. And it's like, how did you not hear that or see that? Or It takes him 45 minutes to walk three steps so i don't know what's going on there and i'm just yeah it it was it was hard but you know you kind of have to just throw that in the pile with the rest of the horror movie tropes that piss me off <laughs> everything else so it's i you know i'm not gonna waste a lot of time obsessing about it it's unfortunate it's bad it's in most movies whatever 
is there some greater significance to the conflicts between David and Mark um, in terms of the movie's themes? Or is that just sort of there to create some conflict in between monster attacks because something has to happen in the movie? Yeah, I'll go with option B there. Okay, well, I guess I'll I'll say that there is some significance to it. Okay, enlighten me. Well, I think as much as I think David's ideas about evolution are pretty off base, uh, which is, you know, par for the course in the time period, I guess. Um, he He's like more of an idealist when it comes to science. He He really is kind of like a... A funny he's a funny guy he's really interested interested in outer space yeah they bring up outer <laughs> space a lot and i'm like yeah uh... like he keeps talking about how like you know we really gotta research this gill man because you know pretty soon we're gonna be on mars and it's like what? yeah yeah <laughs> what the hell what is what does researching marine life have to do with space exploration but he brings that up several yeah, times he so really it's like does. a really good it's a really good argument in his mind um and this is, you know, like, this is way before the moon landing, right? That was in 1969, so... Yeah, well, this um, is, like, when the Jetsons was around, and they really thought, like, we'd be in flying cars and... Yeah, he's really thinking, you know, in our lifetime, there's going to be, you know, human colonies on Mars and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And so we have to get ready to breathe in space. Right, so and this what, is obviously... What better way to do it? <laughs> I, it's like he, he doesn't... He, He's super interested in space, but he also hasn't done any research on space, so I, right. I don't know where he's getting his information. But it's kind of cute, you know, like the way he thinks about science, like it's for the betterment of humanity. Like humanity is going to encounter new problems as technology advances, and by studying the natural world, we can we can help the progress of, of humanity. And also, it's just, you know neat to study animals and so um that is in contrast with mark's outlook which is basically like i want more money Mm -hmm. and i want more fame and exposure and he's like the um what's his name in king kong denim sure the the director guy right he just wants to exploit this thing to the max and um so it's kind of, I don't know. I mean, a lot of movies from the 1950s are thinking through the role of science in modern life, right? Because like science had advanced so amazingly in the last, say, 50 years. Like in, you know, human memory in the 1950s, we had gone from, you know, horse and buggies to, you know, just about being ready to travel to other planets. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, everybody's living in fear of a nuclear holocaust right like this is the era of those videos that show you how to like get under your desk so that the nuclear explosion will just hit the desk (laughs) and you'll be fine believe us and people are like building fallout shelters and stuff Uh so science is like this terrifying thing but it's also what the entire economy is increasingly built around this continual progress of technology. And um, so there's these very hopeful visions of the future. And then 
the also the possibility that it's going to destroy us all um which i guess we're kind of just used to that now like that's oh, yeah. just what life has that's been that's called a now. tuesday yeah but back then it was very novel and so there's a lot of movies from this time period where um people are thinking through the role of science in society and like what science should be about and um so I think that that conflict between these characters is kind of about that. Like, is science going to just be run by capitalism for maximum profit at, at all cost? And or is it going to be more in the hands of people that are trying to aim it towards, you know, away from a nuclear holocaust or something terrible or the destruction of nature? It's more towards the betterment of everyone. Mm hmm. And in the end, I guess, uh, I mean, Mark gets himself killed, right? So his his egotism is self-defeating, but then they do just kill the monster at the end, so. Um, I like to believe that he was resting. Well, if you watch the, the sequel, it, he was resting. Good. He got shot. Like ten times, but you know, he, was, he got better. You know, he was like, eh, "I'm tired. I'm just gonna float here for a second. Yeah, in the sequel, they basically bring him back and put him in like Sea World, <laughs> and then he escapes. They fucking would. Back. Yeah, they would. So you said you that the Gilman's your favorite monster. Mm -hmm. What what about the the creature design here is uh, interesting or or cool? Um, I think the Gilman is gorgeous. Just absolutely gorgeous. It's, I mean, it's hard to say realistic, because, like, it's not a real creature. That's your favorite word. Is it? Yeah, you always, whenever you say you like anything, you always say it's realistic. Well, maybe... I don't really mean realistic. I mean... I don't know what I mean, but if a Gilman existed, wouldn't it look like that? Like, if you saw that thing coming out of the water, you would think, that's a, that's a creature. That's not a man in a suit. Well, don't yeah, you ruin I'm, this. Don't you I mean, dare. he is a guy in a suit. I know, but he doesn't look like it. That looks like a real fish man. Yeah. I, I do, I do really like the design as well. I think they did a... I like how they they didn't make him look too human, like his face. Yeah, like he's got like fish fish eyes. Yeah, his eyes are one of the best parts of his design. Yeah, and I love how in close-ups on his face they made like a special rig where the gills kind of fan open and shut, mm -hmm. and he's got like his eyes are all kind of liquidy. Like it looks, he's his face kind of like moves around the way that like a fish is fish out of water would kind of gulp and stuff mm -hmm. um, there's something very that's, haunting that's really about cool. the way his mouth opens and closes and stuff it's like very creepy mm -hmm. and they did a really good yeah. job of not making him like make any weird noises <laughs> yeah if you did something like if you gave him like a weird like squeak or something the movie would be ruined like, right so it's good that he's like pretty quiet. That's scarier. Sound of the deadly. Yeah. 
I just think he's yeah. gorgeous. So you put a note here that you wanted to talk about Millicent Patrick. Yes. So Millicent Patrick is the woman who did the original design for the Gill Man, like his uh, his look and mm-hmm. everything. And um, so they she she was actually the first um, animator for Disney too, female anim- animator for Disney. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah, super cool. So she worked at the Universal Monster, like, behind the scenes and, like, the creation department for for them. Mm -hmm. And they sent her out on tour for this, and they had this whole, um, the beauty who created the beast thing. And her boss's name was Bud Westmore. He was, like, the head of that department. And she was getting so much like praise and attention that he got jealous and and fired her and he was he wanted to take all the credit for that so he just had her removed and then he got the credit for it which is like super fucked up yeah because he was the one who's like running the whole department Mm -hmm. but he acted as if he had designed the creature when actually she did that yeah and i just want to be sure that we give her some credit because if she hadn't made this beautiful design, we wouldn't have this amazing Gill Man. So I think yeah. it's just terrible that she got yanked out because she was getting all the attention for it. Yeah, and in a way, it's it's ironic too because in the movie, one of the things David says about Mark, the bad guy, is um, Kay is like, well, he's made a bunch of great discoveries. She's like defending him, mm-hmm. and and he goes, well, he's taken credit for a lot of discoveries Ooh. that his his researchers discovered, and it's like so. Mark is one of these asshole guys who's like running the department, and so he's got all these researchers working for him who actually do the stuff, like um, you know Thomas Edison, you know, and then he just takes credit for all and claims that he discovered everything. And it's, it's so funny that, like, that's the villain of the film. And then behind the scenes, the exact same thing happened with the creator of the creature. Yeah, I didn't notice that. That's... Wow. It's heavy. Wow, fuck. So, life imitates art, I guess. I guess we should talk about what we're going to watch for next time. Well, unfortunately, that's up to you. Yes, and I've decided that we will watch... It follows. Oh, 2014. okay. Well, that's good because I've already seen that. We watched that together, so that's not super daunting. Cool. All right. Well, um, we'll see you all <laughs> next time, or you'll hear us next time. Uh-huh. That's right. I don't know what's a good sign-off. Uh, How have we not figured out any of this? <laughs> <laughs> like 13 I, episodes in. I don't know. I, 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 I don't have any idea what I'm doing, so. Okay. Good, <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye.